This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Nice of you to continue tuning in to Kelly and Ramia on AMI. I'm Ramia Amadin. And I'm Danielle McLaughlin. And we are kicking off hour two. And as we do that, I want to remind you of some fun stuff going on in March. If you live in the Calgary area and if you experience AMI's original series by Hook or by Cook is filming two episodes in Calgary on March 17th. That's a Friday. And you're invited to participate. So the day might include you taking pictures on the red carpet, uh, refreshments, of course, meet and greet with uh, Bruce Cook and other cast members, a gift bag valued at $75 plus, and Dave Brown. What a fantastic part of the experience to meet Dave Brown, who's hosting these two episodes on March 17th. If you want more information, and most definitely if you want to reserve your spot on this uh, studio audience or as a part of it, go to your email and type in info at ami.ca and let us know that you are interested. Okay, that's uh, by Hooker by Cook in the Calgary area on Friday, March 17th. Well, it sounds like fun to me. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's time to check in with one of our community reporters. Kim Kilpatrick joins us now with news from Ottawa, Ontario. Hi, Kim. How are you? Hello, ladies. I'm good. How are you? Very I'm well. Great. And it's nice mm-hmm. having you with us again. And uh, although you. some of the things you're bringing us aren't the happiest uh, stories, I'm sorry to say. You're going to tell us in your first topic about a recent cab refusal in Calgary, but uh, what to also what to do about cab difficulties in Ottawa and other major cities, aren't you? Yeah, uh, so I was in Calgary, I think last time I was on, I was telling you I was going to Calgary to do 23 versions of my One Woman Guide Dog show, which I did. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And... Um, after one of the matinees, which is very ironic that I was doing a show about guide dogs, when I left the theater, I went to get a cab, which I had reserved, and the driver refused me, and he also said I could put the dog in the trunk, and then he said no dogs in the car, but he didn't even help to get another cab, like we just, I said, okay, I'll cancel it. And then afterwards, um, I read that he it was canceled because the driver couldn't find me, which was not true. So this and is when an I called, Uber ride, Kim? No, it was a cab cab. Like cab. cab. Okay. Yeah. All right. So oh, when I goodness. called the company, when I, I got another cab and got back, I called the company and I said, the trip, this is what happened. And the dispatcher didn't even seem all that concerned. And he told me, you have to request a pet-friendly vehicle, mm. which I said, no, no. I absolutely mm. do not. And and he didn't even really apologize. So then I thought, okay, I'm going further ahead with this, which was sort of ironic in that the mayor had been to our guide dog show and she really loved it. Oh, so we gosh. called her office and she said, oh, no, good. no, that's wrong. And then they told me what to do, which is to call 311 and file the complaint with the city. So once I got to the city, they were amazing the driver was fined 700 dollars. he was suspended for a day like they found him easily they knew uh, like my uh, stage manager had actually taken a picture of the vehicle and you know we just we knew what to do but it really got me thinking um and the media got hold of it so it was all over the media the calgary media too which was interesting because you know i was trying to do my shows and then they wanted to interview about it but i really thought it was important and i do think it is important that even if you get refused and it's sort of resolved or you think, well, I don't want to do anything. I got another car. The cities always urge you to call 311. Usually it's 311. I know in Ottawa it is 311. And file the complaint anyway with bylaw because they want to know if the cab companies are actually following through with things. They want to know, are certain companies more of a... um, a culprit than others, you know, what is going on here? So a lot of people, even the city of Calgary told me, and I I talked to someone at Ottawa too, and they said, not a lot of people do not report these refusals. So cab refusals or restaurant refusals or any of these service dog refusals you may get, you may not feel, because at the time afterwards, I thought someone said, well, you could have called the police. And so I said, I just want to get out of there. Like, I wasn't thinking that clearly. You know, I just, I was feeling emotional about 
you know, them insulting mm-hmm. my dog and, yeah. you know, like you're just not, you're not quite thinking, but it's really important that people, they call 311, you say you want to lodge a complaint, you explain as much as you can. Like luckily for me, a sighted person was with me who could describe the car, but right. even if not, the dispatchers will know where you were and they'll know, you know, I had booked it in an app. It was clear, you know, there was, they can find them and they, they did find you know, they but even in that regard, Kim, your dispatcher wasn't concerned for you. So this he was is really not. A ch- and so yeah. that I, I filed against him, too, because I said, listen, exactly. the company cannot say this. And I said, if they're saying this to a new service dog handler who doesn't know their rights or is just a exactly. bit timid or doesn't yeah. understand, they might just say, oh, I have to request a pet friendly vehicle. Well, I guess I'm going to do that. Well, no, that is not the case. No. That is not right. So and this is a should... human rights issue, too. You know, Absolutely. I mean, if you hadn't gotten I, the nice thing about 311 is you probably got faster response than you would for a human rights complaint. Mm-hmm. But I don't know whether that stops you from making a human rights complaint, because I, you know, I don't know how these Cab, cab companies are going to learn that they absolutely have to educate their no, drivers. No, yeah, absolutely. This is ridiculous. And for him to say, put ridiculous. a dog in the trunk, like for oh my gosh goodness. sakes, like, you know, and then, um, and then just to not even care and then to lie, like virtually, you know, yeah. he did, he lied to, to try to get away find. with it. Really? He was tr- um, covering so, himself. Absolutely. Yeah. But he actually didn't know what hit him because everything hit him, including all kinds of media. Well, I mean, I was lucky in that I was in a privileged position where, you know, we had contacts with the media through the theater mm. we had contacts with the mayor's office through the theater but i will say 311 was amazing and they actually told me we want the word to get out here that this yes. is not acceptable mm-hmm. this is not our policy think twice you know you yeah. you cannot do this and and we want people to file because if they don't file we think everything is going along smoothly. Like That's we, right. And you know what, that. to Danielle's point, it's human rights complaints that made it possible for us to get here, right? Like yeah. all the people who went through the system, who really put in grueling effort and hours um, to now say for Uber, for Lyft, for cabs, that, you know, this is unacceptable and these are the rules for Airbnb, for anything else. Yeah. Um, and I, I stopped using Uber because of so many refusals. The same and I know reasons. someone last week who was refused five times in one day with an Uber. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it is, so, it's not unheard of. Well, you know, no, good for you for complaining because, <laughs> you know, as I always say, when you complain, it's not just for you. It's for everybody exactly. else. No, and I wasn't. I wasn't. I mean, there was a part of me that said, I only have so much energy. I'm doing this show. But I thought, sure. no, this is a show about guide yeah. dogs and darn well. And I'm going to. And and I mean, the people around were so wonderful. And the people, yeah. you know, coming to the shows were saying, we apologize for Calgary. I said, well, don't apologize <laughs> for Calgary. Calgary was awesome. It was this one particular yes, person. Yes. And then, you know what? A lot of people took that app off their phone. The app was very accessible. I took it off my phone the next day. A lot of people took the app off their phone. So, you know, consequences happen when people find yeah. out mm-hmm. um, that company may not get as much business, which is sad for the drivers. I did have some drivers from that company who were great, but it is sad for them. But I'm really upset. But the teeth I was upset is important. with the company. I'm yes. upset yeah, with the company absolutely. because the dispatcher did not do what he should have done. He didn't even really apologize to him. He goes, oh, well, sorry about that. But like, it was like, sorry about that. Like that, you know, oh, like it was no, no kidding. It's yeah. important because in all of this, we learned that, uh, you know, they're trying really hard to to sink their teeth into this issue. Uh, and that is very, very important. And the solidarity that, you know, other people had to make sure that this was pulled all the way through is um, like the consequences is really important. Kim, let's. Yeah. Talk about the performance, please. Do you have an update for us with your company? Uh, yeah, so it went really well. Um, I was happy to do my 23 shows, although that was a bit of a grueling time. A lot wow. of puppies in training came, which was really Aww. nice to see. A lot of There were a couple of times when groups of seniors uh, came from uh, um, retirement homes, too, because it was Lunchbox Theater, so a lot of the shows were at lunch, so it was a nice time of day for, you know, for that type of bus trip. And, um, yeah, it was really great um we we had good supportive warm audiences and and it was a lot of fun to do uh to do those shows so thank you to lunchbox theater and to calgary everyone who brought this together and Mm. supported me through the shows and through the cab refusal which everyone was just so supportive all around and uh, thank you to the audiences and everyone who came and yeah so it was it was it was really good lovely that sounds like fun um 
Now, there's a live described performance at the NAC Thursday, March the 9th. Can you tell us about that? I'm very excited about this. This is the first one, I think, that the NAC has ever done. Shame on them. They should have done it long ago, like we keep saying. So uh, they called me back a few uh, months or so ago and asked if I would consult on it. So I'm going to go have a sneak peek um, this coming weekend where I listen to the uh, headset and make sure, you know, everything's good, good, good with it. But on March the 9th, which is a Thursday, um, there will be a live described performance of this play at the NAC. Um, and it is going to be, um, there will be 20 headsets. So 20 blind people can come. The tickets are all free to the blind people and the support. Like if you bring someone with you, um, the tickets are all free. They have the complimentary tickets for that. And so it's going to be really good. It's it's a play about um, a gentleman in Nova Scotia who has um, actually attacked outside of a nightclub um, for being gay, I think. Um, and I remember that. And then he forgave Uh, the people right away and he's a choir director so he's in it and there's a children's choir in it and that's all I don't know a ton about it but I do know that it is the first you know it's a live describe and it's very exciting and we Mm. get the free tickets Um, there is a link which I gave you but you can also email a-i-m-e-e amy dot bouchard b-o-u-c-h-a-r-d at n-a-c dash cna.ca um, because there was a bit of problems I had a bit of problem with the ticket link so she said you know you can email her if you have any kind of problem and you would just need to tell her you know that you're blind or if you're bringing you know two blind people you need two headsets or you're bringing you know one other person then there will be tickets available um, it is really about time that the NAC were sort of a that it's sort of their the national theater right mm. in Canada yes um, I sound really feisty today I don't know <laughs> But it's about Good time you. That, they, that they did this too. Like it really is because it should be a standard that they set, that everyone sets, you know. Yeah. Like, and it shouldn't just be a one-off. I, I think that no. this, and, this sounds very promising. So yeah, the show so is the, called I Forgive You. And yeah. the, the live describe is March the 9th. 9th thank you at, so much, Kim. Thank you I really so much, ladies. Enjoyed, I, I enjoyed your being feisty. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. <laughs> you give us all hope. That's good. Take care. Bye-bye now. Kim Kilpatrick gave us her community report from Ottawa. And for all the information she shared, you can visit our blog at ami.ca slash helico. As we say with so many other things, lived experience is so valuable and we use it to push the needle forward on these conversations. After the break, we're checking in with orientation mobility specialist Mark Rankin as well as Dr. Jean-Marc Figali to talk about the WeWalk Smart Cane and app. We'll be right back. This is Kelly and Ramia. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. You know, I was really nervous about this chat GPT message about Kelly and Ramia that uh, Michael Babcock forwarded to us earlier on. He strategically did it so that we couldn't read it uh, until after his <laughs> his tech talk. But it was quite kosher. I'd say it was, you know, reasonably fair. Not a lot of deep information that was hidden on the Internet or something like that. So, whew. and And, and nothing untrue. Nothing untrue, yes. But now I am nervous because, you know, what else is there to find out about that if you were to re-prompt this thing to <laughs> dig a little deeper? Danielle, you're really uh, impacting us with your well, I, questions. I, I, have, <laughs> I have to tell you, as somebody considerably older than you, I would be much more worried about de- what digging deeply could find. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I mean. Because uh, yeah. now we can re-prompt. There's like, find me more, right, ChatGPT? Yeah. Oh, please don't. Yeah, no. don't, yeah, don't find any more. Uh, I wonder if you can tell ChatGPT to delete the stuff off the internet. <laughs> that would be fantastic. That would be a nice idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Danielle McLaughlin over there, and I'm Ramia Amuthan. Kelly McDonald is uh, away to date, but he'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, let's talk a little orientation and mobility with Mark Rankin. Where 
Where am I? Where am I going? And how do I get there? I'm Mark Rankin. As a certified orientation and mobility specialist, I've been helping pedestrians with vision loss answer those questions for decades, with a few detours along the way. Join me on Kelly and Rumya for some travel tips and tall tales from the streets of Toronto. We have so much to get into today with you, Mark. Mark, you join us on the fourth Monday of the month, and today we have a treat because you've brought in a special guest with you. Yeah, I've got uh, Dr. Jean-Marc uh, Fagali, who's uh, head of research and development at WeWalk, um, uh, as well as uh, being head of head of development and research. He's also an orientation mobility specialist uh, and somebody who's living with vision loss, so uh, wealth of experience and specific expertise. Um, that uh, he's brought to uh, bear on developing this app and, and cane combination. So um, mm-hmm. looking forward to having a chat with him today. I'm very excited. Well, welcome, Doctor, and welcome, Mark, to both of you uh, to get into this discussion. Maybe we can start with a little description of WeWalk, in case any of us are unfamiliar with the product. Of course. Well, it's, it's great to be here and thanks for having us and letting us talk about, uh, you know, this device, which we've really built uh, from the ground up with a lot of love, uh, our WeWalk Smart Cane. Uh, so WeWalk really was born from our lived experience. Um, and I noticed you mentioned actually previously on the show that lived experience really is so important. And we love our standard white canes. Don't get me wrong. They're a great device. They've given us a tremendous amount of independence. And, you know, I'm visually impaired myself, a cane user, so um, I appreciate what it can do. But also there are times where I feel like I want my cane to do more. I want it to give me better obstacle detection, better navigation. And that's exactly what we wanted to do with WeWalk. We wanted to build on what makes the standard white cane so great. You know, it's symbol of our independence. It's ground level obstacle detection and surface detection and empower our visually impaired user with extra things like upper body obstacle detection, you know, things like uh, lower tree branches or signage or things that your typical cane would usually miss. But where we went further is we actually built the WeWalk smartphone app. It's a patented technology, it's connection to our uh, WeWalk smart cane. And using WeWalk's built-in touchpad speaker and microphone, the user can actually control their WeWalk app and they can get turn-by-turn walking navigation, public transport navigation. Like your cane will literally talk to you and it'll say, hey, look, you've got a bus coming in 10 minutes at this stop. Get on that bus, get off at this stop, and then walk for, I don't know, um, 120 meters. As you can tell, I'm very good at giving directions on the fly. But (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we want it to be that all-in-one, on-the-go companion for our visually impaired community. Well, Jean-Marc, what's your role at WeWalk? So WeWalk's head of research and development. I basically, along with the rest of our development team, inject our professional and lived experience of tech and visual impairment to make sure that we're building the right thing and that every new feature that comes in, you know, considers needs of our user base. So myself and the team have spent a considerable amount of time building WeWalk's navigation interface. You know, we fine-tuned the compass built into WeWalk and fused that data uh, with the data we get from our smartphone and our uh, API providers like MoveIt and, and Google and, and great organizations like that uh, to provide that you know more accurate navigation experience. So we can give you clock directions as you walk down the street, like at 12 o'clock, turn three o'clock. But you can put your smartphone in your pocket and the compass on WeWalk will keep reading forward. So it's little innovations like that. You know, We've designed our navigation interface with low vision color filters in mind. So you don't just have to be blind and using a screen reader to use our app. If you have partial sight, you can still use it in larger text sizes. And of course, we've got a wealth of exciting projects, which my team and I look after. Uh, projects in partnership with Microsoft, uh, the RNIB in the UK, uh, the CNIB and VLRC. Um, it's even Imperial College. So it's all about how can we build on this smart cane slash smartphone platform to really, you know, uh, turn the dial for what can be achieved uh, with this hardware and software. Yeah. And the significance here is you're taking a technology that has been around forever, right? The white cane uh, and its classic form and saying, we don't want to get rid of this, but we want to be able to build on this to say, let's do more. So really the perspectives of individuals in the community for this product to continue forward and actually be successful is super important. And not just the community, but our orientation and mobility instructors, people who've been in the field forever, like Mark, yourself, and say, uh, you know, how are how are we embracing 
this product. So, Mark, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with WeWalk? Sure. Thanks for, for mentioning I've been in the field forever. Uh, <laughs> just say just under long, forever. But, <laughs> but yes, some experience for sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm lucky because in my capacity as professional practice lead at, at Vision Loss Rehabilitation Canada, I, you know, I get to reach out to a lot of uh, product developers and, and uh, you know, make connections um, with our own M so that we're up to date with, you know, the, the newest technology and other things. Um, what I'm always looking for is, you know, is is organization forward thinking? Um, did they did they develop their product in conjunction with people with vision loss? Sort of the for us bias kind of idea. Um, and are they responsive to the community? Are they are they uh, are, are they willing to to make changes to adapt to customer feedback? And that's uh, I think WeWalk has absolutely. Um, so they were they've been exciting to work with. They provide a lot of support to our ONMs so that we're able to um, respond to client uh, interest. Right. So. Uh, like you said, it's a cane, and it, it's it's but definitely an augmented cane. So there's a lot of interest amongst uh, the visually impaired community, uh, you know, to try this out and see how it works. So we've been lucky enough to get some training on it uh, provided by WeWalk, so we can respond to it. Um, I find there's a couple of things that are really cool, and Jean, Dr. Jean Marc did touch on them a little bit. Uh, I think it's it, the app itself is really great and customizable for the low vision user. Um, and it's very customizable in terms of how you navigate. So do you want to hear clock face directions? Do you want to hear just laterality left, right? Uh, do you want to use cardinal directions? So you can really customize it for the user. Um, and there's also really good built-in uh, tutorials. So there's a lot of, you know, you don't need to call someone <laughs> and get stuck. There's a lot in the app uh, that can really help you kind of get on the right foot with using uh, the technology. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, I mean, the, I guess what's what's exciting is it does sort of it brings together a few things. Um, I mean, as as Jean Marc said, a, a cane is a good obstacle detector for the the lower region, um, and it adds in the obstacle detection for the higher areas. But then the navigation app working with it kind of covers everything you need in terms of mobility when you turn. When we think about mobility, you know, the orientation is covered by the app and the, the basic mobility is covered by the cane that has the extra feature that's going to kind of um, give you a little bit more information with your surroundings. And the other thing that's really cool is you can access all this, um, all these special features through the cane itself. So you don't have to have the phone out in one hand and the cane in the other. So uh, once you get uh, good at using um, using the phone, uh, the, the cane itself, to interact with the information that the app provides, um, then it becomes really an all kind of all in one hand solution. Can you use the cane without the app at all? You, yes, you can. So, yeah. Okay. I mean, oh, we're we're gonna say the same thing. <laughs> you go ahead. Sure. So you can, uh, and actually, that's. That was by design. You know, we realized that obstacle detection is a safety critical feature. So say your smartphone runs out of battery and say you're out of GPS range, for instance, we still want you to have the added benefits of having that obstacle detection sensor, um, you know, fully running, providing that haptic feedback as you're traveling. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's great. Yeah, it was, it was just really um, interesting to me, you know, the pairing with the app, but I wanted to know if it was doable without it. and. Mark, back to you. Curious about what you're hearing from the community. Uh, are people on board? Or are people saying no? Keep it classic. Like, what? What's the spectrum <laughs> of opinion opinions that you're getting from other ONMs as well as uh, blind and low vision people? Yeah, right now there's a, a lot of excitement. It's there hasn't been a huge uptake in Canada uh, yet. So the people that are interested in it. Obviously, um, are the people who are kind of a little bit more tech savvy um, and are mm -hmm. forward thinking and kind of want to embrace uh, new solutions to mobility challenges. Uh, so, so far, it's been, you know, overwhelmingly positive. Um, I mean, you know, it's tough getting around without with reduced vision or with no vision is not easy, right? So mm -hmm. I'm anything um, that has a new perspective on, on how to solve some of these, you know, really uh, daunting challenges that 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 our clients face um I, I can't imagine anyone would be disappointed in that um a few things i've heard from people are, are um 
the accuracy of the GPS callouts is quite good. So, um, and I found this myself, and I'm showing some. So, if you you can you know save uh, destination to your my places folder, um, and then navigating it to back to that, um, it's it's really uh, it's very accurate. So um, okay. I've been really pleased by that. I haven't found um, like a lot of GPS systems sometimes overcast skies, different things um, tend to. Uh, you know, negatively affect the the sensitivity of it. It's worked really well. Um, the obstacle detection sensor. So it's kind of neat. I've got one guy I'm going to be starting with, and what he's got a street where there's no sidewalks. So what he wants to be able to do is he's walking on the on the shoulder of the road, but there's cars parked there, and he doesn't mm. want to hit them with his cane. So what he's going to do is sort of try to use the obstacle detector not as an overhead detector, but by turning, um, sort of rotating his wrist and using it sideways, uh, he'll be able to find, he hopes, the the, uh, the car and then sort of use that to more or less trail the car. And then when he stops getting the, the information that there's an obstacle there, he knows that he's cleared the car and right. he'll get back to the, uh, to the shoulder. So there's already people coming up with some kind of novel ways of, of uh, using the technologies that's here. And I think that's what's, what's cool about the... The community in general, right? You're yes. already you're already good at at coming up with novel ways of of dealing with challenges that the environment throws at you. So um, you're the best people to kind of embrace the technology and see where you can take it. And uh, speaking of embracing the technology, super quick questions because we got to wrap up, but we have so many questions for you. Uh, <laughs> how heavy is the cane compared to the uh, aluminum or graphite that people are most likely used to here in Canada? So the cane itself, it, it it comes with a standard Abutech cane. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it. So it basically, you've got. I'll just kind of kind of show you. So there's there's the handle. Uh, Jean-Marc can tell you kind of what the weight is. It's oh, it's it not like significantly heavier. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you just thread you thread so, your cane into it. So um, you can change the cane tip, all that sort of stuff. But hmm. the the weight of itself, I mean, I think. What I've heard from people is if you're a, like a, a kind of an old school two-point touch cane user, you might notice a bit of a difference. If you use constant contract contact with the ground, which most people do, yes. you won't notice a significant difference. Okay, great. Yeah, usually I use con constant contact because the cane's too heavy. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both so much. We honestly should do a part two because there are a lot more follow-up questions, but we've got into some of that nitty-gritty and foundation of the attitude around we walk. and I appreciate both of your time uh, coming in today. It's my pleasure. pleasure. Thanks for having us on board. Thank you. Uh, we were speaking with Mark Rankin, our O&M specialist who joins us monthly on the show, and his guest, Dr. Jean-Marc Figali, head of research and development at WeWalk about the WeWalk Smart Cane and app. Taking a break now, and we'll come back with um, Danielle McLaughlin for Know Your Rights, who also has a special guest, behind-the-scenes researcher and law student extraordinaire for Know Your Rights, Brinda Krishna. We'll be right back. This is Kelly and Ramya. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Welcome back to Kelly and Ramya. Thanks for continuing to hang out with us. I'm Ramya Amadin. Danielle McLaughlin is also here. We're co-hosting the show together. And Danielle, real quick, before we get into our next segment, I just wanted to say I'm not willing to carry extra weight. I think that um, people who, who are yeah. growing up now uh, with disabilities and know the drastic changes to technology that's happening, making it more portable, lightweight, um, you know, going from carrying the, uh, the big Perkins brailers, like what, oh, eight pounds, goodness. 10 pounds, like that thing, lugging that around to now saying, hey, my portable braille display is like less than a pound, or, you know, yeah. whatever it is um, with the cane. They'll only, get, they'll only get better. I don't know. That we walk looked like it could, be, it could be good. It's not very big. Mm. He said it wasn't very heavy, but yeah. uh, I think you'd have to try it out before you decided whether you wanted Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a, it's a lot of carrying a cane and using a two-point touch, especially as a technique, is... There's a lot on your arms and your wrists, so we yeah. already know. All right, Danielle, let's get into it. We're uh, talking Know Your Rights now with Danielle McLaughlin. Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. 
But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. Danielle, I am very excited, and I know you are, because a special guest is joining us today. I'm really happy, I have to tell you, because we have with us today Vrinda Krishna, who is our behind-the-scenes Know Your Rights researcher and a law student. She's actually my secret superpower this year. Welcome, Vrinda. Oh, I think you're muted, Vrinda. Can you unmute? Can you hear me now? I'm not. I can hear you now. There we go. This I. I, I have been absolutely beside myself with joy having Brenda work with me this year. Um, can you, you came to work with Kelly and Ramya through the Pro Bono Students Canada program. Can you tell us a bit about that program at your law school and how you've been involved with it? Yeah, for sure. So uh, Pro Bono Students Canada really is actually a national program. And so Osgood, which is the uh, law school that I attend, is the largest chapter among 22 chapters uh, that um, that has PBSC offered for its students. Um, and PBSC, which stands for Pro Bono Students Canada, um, offers free legal services to those who are most in need of uh, that support. Um, through a variety of different programs. So it could range in projects uh, involving research, clinical programs, uh, public legal education, and court assistance. Uh, and so I just I, I prepared a, a few uh, statistics because I wanted to really emphasize the breadth of BB PBSC. Um, as mentioned, it is offered among 22 chapters, but uh, there are over 12,000 individuals that are benefiting from PBSC services. Mm -hmm. Um, as an estimated number. Um, there's over 1,500 law students that take part in the over 500 projects that are available um, and 550 or so lawyers who actually mentor students throughout this process. So a lot goes behind the scenes um, and, uh, and it is a really large initiative in itself. Um, and again, ranges in, in breadth in terms of what is offered by PBSC. Um, as you know, uh, AMI is partnered with PBSC for this public legal education um, system and, and, and this, this side of things, but there's also, as mentioned, clinics uh, and ways to sort of help out those um, who may be new immigrants or new Canadians, um, those who identify as transgender, uh, a lot of broad sort of clinics and um, helps that are out there through PBSC. Well, it's just been a boon to have you doing so much research this year. And uh, I have understood that this may not be your main interest in the law, but what is your main interest in, in law? And what do you hope to do once you become a real live lawyer when you're called to the bar? Yeah, for sure. So I um, never thought I would be, you know, sort of interested in disability rights or, uh, you know, getting to know more about it really in my work. Um, so I come from a background in business. I did my undergraduate at um, at Schulich and I specialized in accounting and finance. And so uh, very much a business background and I, I did enjoy it, um, but I do enjoy my time at um, AMI and learning a little bit more about disability rights. Um, and so all of that to say, I do think I will end up in corporate law um, and uh, I wanted to explore my interests there to begin. But I think this process really taught me um, the importance of pro bono work, really. And that's a huge sort of learning outcome that PBSC really wants to emphasize amongst uh, law students, because as prospective you know, lawyers, um, I think it's really important to instill that value of pro bono work amongst um, future lawyers. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, taking part in this project has allowed me to research into topics that I would not have, again, not would not have imagined uh, I would explore. And so um, I think keeping that in mind and making sure that in where wherever I end up, um, you know, exploring my interests further or exploring different areas of law, uh, which is quite fun, <laughs> but also doing so in an impactful way through pro, pro bono work, um, which is great because uh, corporate lawyers uh, and corporate law firms in Toronto, at least, really do emphasize pro bono work themselves and uh, place a significant sort of value on them for students and offer opportunities um, through PBSC and through other organizations 
organizations for students to get involved and uh, for their lawyers themselves to get involved moving forward. Well, I, I've long believed that, uh, you know, pro bono work is important, maybe not just for lawyers, but but for many people. And it's also, in, in my view, a two-way street that, yes. um, you know, while you're making a, a huge contribution, I think that you gain some things from it as well as do all the pro bono students. Can you give me an idea of some of the topics and you've really researched a broad variety of, of topics since you've been with uh, us at AMI. But what have you really enjoyed researching for the Know Your Right segments? For sure. So you're very right in saying that uh, we have looked at a broad number of things, um, which has all been very exciting. One, I, I will say one that stands out to me. It was very early in my time at AMI, but uh, we looked into the U.S. Um, system in the fed their federal prison system and mm. how it might mm. sort of um, amount to a modern form of slavery, really, um, yes. and then sort of paralleling that um, and looking at the Canadian context and whether there is something sort of similar within Canada uh, and what the equivalent is. And so I looked into CORCAN, which essentially um, is supposed to be a little different from the U.S. system because it's supposed to be an optional um, employment uh, option for, for federal inmates. But really, uh, in reality, because of the social sort of pressures among um, federal inmates, they are almost always compelled to work in very, very um, strenuous jobs, labor-intensive jobs, um, and uh, with, with very cheap labor and very uh, minimal sort of financial incentive and financial compensation. Uh, and so exploring what the courts have said on this. Um, which uh, just as a TLDR, um, not much has been said, and uh, they seem quite reluctant to acknowledge it as an actual sort of um, uh, modern form of slavery, even though it appears as such to us um, and to to those who understand slavery in the legal context. But um, I think overall this topic shows how issues that you know one would assume are historical in nature really do have a modern impact. Um, or even a modern presence. So I think a lot of the times we think of slavery as having sort of a trickle-down effects into today's society, and we don't really con consider how slavery may still be prevalent uh, today. We more so think of the the after effects. Yeah. But uh, it was interesting to see how it uh, it is still very much a thing today um, in the prison system in specific. That's right. And I, I think that, you know, your research has helped the audience for the Know Your Rights segments learn learn more about things that they may not have even had an opportunity to think about. So, you know, that were there any other um, issues or topics that, that you found uh, intriguing while you were working uh, on the Know Your Rights segments? Yeah, I think every week has been has been intriguing. I always find interesting how um, how vast the area of law is. Like, uh, I would not have looked into modern day slavery <laughs> personally. Yeah. Um, so so it was great to do that. But also um, maybe another one that I can think of is privacy rights. Uh, we we right. looked into facial recognition technology. I'm sure you remembered. This is also another uh, one of the segments that were earlier in my time uh, at AMI, but uh, we looked into um, really just just how privacy rights are implicated through the use of facial recognition technology, which is so rampant in today's sort of criminal law context and in general, just uh, regulations across Canada. Um, and so the protections that are in place or lack thereof was uh, another, another one that stands out. I'll say on a more broad level, I think, um, and, and you alluded to this, Danielle, um, I think what I've learned most in this in this process is that uh, public legal education or PLE is something so important to audience members. I think it's a very empowering tool um, to those who uh, who are tuning in, and um, uh, really they're learning more about um, about the law, and it's something that can really help them, you know, gauge a better access to justice. And that's another huge part of CBSC. Um, its whole mandate and its whole sort of rationale uh, and, and value system is based in sort of improving access to justice and and seeing how this work can improve access to justice through actually empowering individuals themselves with knowledge is is uh, been a, a huge learning outcome. 
you know, for for myself um, as a non-lawyer working in a field of rights, I think that for me, one of the most important things was, you know, what is it that I don't know to ask? And, yeah. you know, I and, you know, I've learned a lot in, in the almost well more than 30 years that I've been working in this area. But mm-hmm. uh, I'd still, you know, knowing what you don't know is enormous. And you've been extremely helpful in helping me find answers to, you know, what is it that I don't know, know about <laughs> this? And uh, it and it, you know, by sharing it with our audience, I think we really do help people get access to justice because, you know, one of the first things that that I learned, you know, decades ago is, hey, I have the right to complain. Um, you know, not a lot of people know that if something is unfair, that there are systems available for with which, you know, that you can use to complain when things are unfair. Um, do you think that your understanding of disability rights has been affected by your placement with AMI and with the work that you've been doing with us? Yeah, for sure. Um, so as mentioned, you know, I, I did not think I would be looking into disability rights in any sort of capacity, at least at this in depth um, in my time at law school. And I'm thankful through this opportunity to have um, been able to gain this experience. Uh, but really, it's shone a light on um, something which I alluded to earlier as well, which is that uh, a lot of the times things that we think have been uh, are tired conversations or have been discussed at length, um, whether that be in the media or in law, uh, are very much still prevalent and um, uh, are very much issues today. So, uh, you know, just accessibility within, for example, accessibility within the broadcasting industry and the fact that there's just a lack of, uh, you know, supports that are in place for employees within that sector, uh, which seems to me at least to be something that should not even be an issue right now uh, in today's day and age with all the discussion we have about providing accessible means of taking part in employment. And yet here we are having these discussions today. And so um, that's a huge sort of learning outcome is that, uh, you know, yes, we we, we talk about disability rights and um, accessibility uh, and support systems, but, and maybe some will say that it's been discussed at length, but I think this process has taught me that there is still a lot of work to be done. And these conversations aren't just old, but they should be ongoing. Um, and maybe just one more comment on that. I think also uh, the fact that there are so many different niche pockets of issues as well um, that we likely don't turn our eyes to or turn our attention to um, is also sort of a, le- a huge important learning outcome um, for me, at least, uh, I, I would not have thought there were issues within the broadcasting industry for disabled individuals, and yet it is a huge concern to this day. So um, just just the niche little pockets, whether that be in employment or in just general Canadian society, um, there are still a number of disability rights concerns um, that need discussion. Well, you know, one of the things that I always hope with the pro bono students who've who've volunteered uh, with us on AMI is that they will take with them to whatever their practice of law might be in the future, the knowledge that you can do something, that you may not be able to do everything, but that, you know, you've been sensitized to the issue of accessibility, something as simple as that. You know, when you w- walk into a new workplace, uh, even as a person who is a temporarily able-bodied person, you know, <laughs> you look around and you think, you know, if if I weren't in the situation I am in now, uh, what would be wrong with this workplace? You know, could I could I do something about it before it becomes an issue? I I you know, since working with AMI, I have to say that I never walk down a street without thinking my goodness, they've put that in the path. And anybody who has a mobility device or who is using a a cane is definitely disadvantaged by this. And I guess my hope is that every one of our pro bono students will look around and say, I can change that. I can do something (laughs) about that. Um, And I, I, you know, knowing how what an avid researcher you have been and continue to to be, I have every expectation that... uh, you know, you it, it will have given you at least a new way of looking at things uh, once you go on to any area of law and perhaps slight more focus on human rights, too. What do you think, Brinta? Oh, for sure. You, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think that's the, the biggest sort of um, 
a learning outcome and, and what really we should be doing as future future lawyers is questioning what's already in place. So, so sort of uh, proactively searching for issues that may arise and, and playing our role really uh, in combating those those concerns before they they come to a level where they may not be um, something that could as easily be resolved. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining with us today. And now you go back behind the scenes and <laughs> do lots more work. <laughs> thank you so much, Danielle. Thank you. That was this year's wonderful Pro Bono Students Canada Research student, Brinta Krishna, joining me today on our Know Your Rights segment. And you can catch Know Your Rights with Danielle every Monday at this time, right before we wrap up the show, which is what we're going to do next after the break here on Kelly and Romeo. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Hi, I'm Dave Brown. If you missed today's edition of Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv, you should absolutely check out the podcast. Kim Thistle had a really thoughtful review of Pamela, a love story, new Netflix documentary about the life and times of Pamela Anderson. Also had a really fun technology chat with Mark Flalo later in the show. You have to check it out. That's Now with Dave Brown, available wherever you download your podcasts. Get dialed in to what's happening on AMI-audio any time of the day. Keep up with us 24-7 on Twitter by following us at AMI-audio. Or you can catch up with us on Facebook on Accessible Media's Facebook page. Be in the know about the latest conversations and guests. And give us feedback in a snap. Keep up with us 24-7 on Twitter at AMI-audio. Catch up with us on Facebook on Accessible Media's Facebook page. Talk soon. Hi, I'm Jacob Shainansky. Tune into the Neutral Zone for the latest para and pro sports news. Host Brock Richardson lets us know what to expect this week. The panel is pleased to welcome in one of the most decorated athletes in adaptive CrossFit, Jedediah Snelson. Plus, Graham Foxcroft stops by to tell us about recent events of the Vancouver Eclipse Blind Hockey Organization. And he will tell us about the upcoming Canadian Blind Hockey Championships, which will take place later in March. Catch the Neutral Zone panel on YouTube or download from your favorite podcast provider. Stream or download Kelly and Rumya and other AMI-tv content on demand using the AMI app. Search for AMI on the Apple App Store, download the app, and find all your favorite AMI-tv content with described video and closed captioning. We're back wrapping up Kelly and Ramia here on AMI. And I wanted to remind you that tomorrow we do have our book club discussion in hour two of the show with Nisreen Abdel-Majid. And this one is about I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. And if you're still kind of wrapping it up or maybe just getting into it now, which, um, you know, it's totally fine with us, uh, but want to tune into the discussion, join us for tomorrow's show and book club conversation. Danielle McLaughlin and myself, Ramia Amuddin, had fabulous conversations today. So let's reflect a little. Danielle, where do you want to point to if people want to check out the podcast of the show and re-listen or share some of this conversation? Well, first of all, the show is ram-packed with wonderful mm -hmm. people speaking about wonderful things. But I'd like to highlight Kim Kilpatrick, who described herself today as being feisty and good for her. You know, she told us about being refused cab rides because of having a service dog and in one at one point being told to put the dog in the trunk, if you can imagine. Ugh. Oh, God. And she also talked about the uh, new audio described uh, version of a play at the National Arts Center and commented on the fact that how come it took them so long and uh, that it's just a one off. And uh, good on you again, Kim, for saying yes it's nice that you're doing it but let's get better and and keep doing mm. more and more and make them more accessible and more available so you know full marks to kim three cheers for kim and uh you can find out more about that on the podcast it's a uh, really a question we ask all the time wouldn't it be nice to look at the big players in the game and uh, say, you know, you're doing it right. Let's follow your example and not the opposite, right? But 
Exactly. Takes a little bit of everything to change our circumstances. Also, we talked to Greg David about upcoming shows, returning shows, new shows on AMI-TV. So many series to check out. He says between now and August, you're going to be busy with AMI-TV content, and that's really great. All these um, all these series reflecting and uh, highlighting conversations around disability and intersectionality is going to be fabulous. So check back at that conversation for the trailers we played and the discussions we had about what these shows are. Okay, now let's look forward to Now with Dave Brown. Tuesday morning show at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Dave Brown is back and hosting the show. Paul Daniels, one of the producers, and he's here to give us a preview. Hello, Paul. Hello, Rania. On tomorrow's show, Lawrence Gunther will discuss the recent announcements made earlier this month at the Impact 5 conference in Vancouver. The conference was regarding marine conservation. He'll also discuss, while he was in Vancouver, his participation at the Festival of Oceans Film Festival, where a documentary he was involved in premiered at, the, at said event. So he'll talk about that. Nelson Rego from Cool Blind Tech will tell us how to unsend an email on your iPhone. Oh. And we'll have our regular Tuesday news quiz with Karen McGee and Alex Smythe and a special contestant, AMI President Dave Arrington. David Arrington will be joining us. That's oh, right. Wow. First time ever. Yes. So, so yes. So we got to be. So we got to be careful here. No pressure, David. <laughs> no, no pressure. No pressure for pressure. him. No pressure for us. It's all stress free. <laughs> Get the crown. All right. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Take care. You know, unsending reminds me, before these options were available on the iPhone um, to unsend your email and send your text messages, I was never sending the wrong text message or uh, an incomplete text to people. But now that the option is available, I have twice sent a message to the wrong person. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> and no, I didn't get to unsend it because I had already checked out the message. So thank goodness it wasn't oh, that important. But geez. <laughs> I wish I could unsay things. Like, you know, if we could get just oh, yeah. an app that would be, you know, especially on live TV, that right? would be so fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle, it's been an absolute pleasure hanging out with you for, you know, a little more than half a week, uh, wrapping up last week together and then coming in today. I love talking to you, and you will stick around for, you know, Know Your Rights and other upcoming days where one of us is off, but it's going to be it. Very hard to get rid of me, Ramya. I know. Thank you so I know. much. It's I really love working with you. It's such fun. It is such fun. Let's look ahead at to tomorrow's Kelly and Ramya. When Kelly is back, we're talking with Danielle Jeankind on dog bites. Uh, she's going to highlight everything you need to know about that. Also, we're discussing a CBC Gem series. You are my hero, and this is something that I'm really looking forward to chatting about. All of that starting at 2 p.m. Eastern tomorrow on Kelly and Ramia. Until then, enjoy your Monday afternoon, and thanks for your precious time. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.